Welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So today, very, very happy to have a, a great guest on the show. We've got James Iandoli, uh, also known as Engaging the Phenomenon. Definitely recommend to check out uh, the Engaging the Phenomenon podcast, one of my favourite podcasts uh, on the, the UFO topic. A lot to do with the consciousness element of it and uh, CE5 and human initiated contact, uh, HICE as it's been referred to these days. So uh, without further ado, let's get straight into it. So... I'm very pleased to have on the show today, James Iandoli, a.k.a. Engaging the Phenomenon. How are you today, James? Thanks for being here. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So I know you from your YouTube channel, your podcast, and being a person that regularly comes up on UFO Twitter, definitely a go-to guy for consciousness and contact work, etc., but please, for anyone who's not aware of your work, can you just give a little bit of background about what got you interested in the topic and where you're up to with your work these days? Yeah, sure. Just just to give a kind of brief intro, um, I um, I got involved in, in uh, UFOs, so to speak, uh, actually, and consciousness, uh, because I had experiences early on in my life. And um, because of that, at a very young age, I was always open to it. Uh, you know, things that people might, may discount, um, like out of body experiences and things like that. I, I, I've had that and it, it was very vivid and I, I never discounted it. I never forgot it. So, um, I, I, you know, even at a young age, I was looking into, to things like, um, you know, UFOs and, and kind of anything in the, in the metaphysics category. And, and, um, it made sense to me that those things went together, um, So, um, really I, you know, I was researching even at a young age, you know, reading UFO books. Um, I actually live in the Hudson Valley area. So there's a really good book that was co-authored by, uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. I believe it's the last book he actually co-authored called Night Siege, the Hudson Valley UFO wave. And I, you know, I live in the Hudson Valley. So, um, I, you know, even growing up, I had spoken to people who uh, were witnesses to that event, um, which it was actually, a, a, you know, a UFO wave or UFO flap that occurred in my area. Um, you know, coincidentally, I guess I live kind of by Indian Point, which is a nuclear facility uh, for power generation. And, um, you know, they these people, uh, they seem pretty amazed by their encounters as well. So, um it was, it was great to kind of be able to speak to people like that early on, um, you know, as well as having some of my own experiences. And then, um, you know, I'd been researching and then what really, uh, kickstarted everything for me to get very directly involved was that in, um, 2007, I had a series of, uh, you know, UFO encounters, uh, that all seemed, uh, connected in a way, um, I mean, and it pretty obviously to me, they were all connected um, over maybe 
you know, between a three to six month period that I had several of these encounters. And, um, because of that, I got really involved, um, very passionately. And I, um, I actually found, uh, the disclosure project and CE five work, um, on, uh, you know, I was on YouTube and I found the disclosure project and I was amazed at, uh, you know, all these high level, uh, military witnesses reporting, uh, you know, their direct involvement in, in the UFO cover up in some way, or, you know, being in service and, and witnessing the UFOs, um, you know, UFO events and, and basically being told not to talk about it. And the guy running the event was, you know, Dr. Stephen Greer. And I'm like, who, you know, who is this guy? You know, I never saw him on TV or anything, even though, you know, I was younger, I saw like Stan Friedman and, uh, you know, all these UFO experts and, and maybe a few of those witnesses. Um, but Stephen Greer, I'd never heard of him. So I'm like, you know, who's this guy running this event? And I look into his work and, uh, I, I was amazed at the whole press club event, but then I saw that he had something called CE five. And, uh, I was, I was, you know, drawn to that from the encounters that I had. And I was amazed really at the way he was describing contact because he was talking about it in terms of consciousness. And, um, and when, when I heard him talking about it, it, to me, it paralleled what I had experienced. And to me, it was obvious that he was talking from a place of experience. Um, just some of the subtleties of what he was describing, you could only know if you had experienced it, in my opinion. Um, so I took what he was saying seriously, and I, I looked into the CE5 work. And in um, you know, I started reading his books and studying his material. And in in around 2009, I I started the the first um, CE5 social media groups um, in on Facebook, and and I started connecting with different. Um, CE5 uh, field group coordinators. And I ended up going to uh, actually two CSETI events subsequently. And uh, I've been very heavily involved in, in, in the UFO community ever since that point. Mm. Yeah. Well, one thing that's, um, that, that's really interested me from hearing you on podcasts and interviews and things recently is the very vivid contact experiences that you yourself have had, uh, especially the one, um, if I'm recalling it correctly, that you basically involved a, a craft that, that landed or appeared essentially in your, your back garden. Um, I wonder if you could uh, go into that a little bit and in as much or as little detail as you, you would like. Yeah, sure. Um, and that, yeah, that was an incredible event. Um, and, and actually I would say that's, that's kind of like the culmination of the events because, um, that, you know, that actually happened in sequence last. So, um, first I have, I have kind of to preface it with, with this, with the, um, the dream time contact thing. Cause that's where everything really started to get kind of like weird, like high strangeness, um, synchronicities and, and, and again, uh, even a daytime encounter. Uh, so it was in, uh, 2007 and, uh, you know, again, I was at this point, I was already involved in meditation and stuff. Um, uh, you know, I was practicing meditation I was researching UFOs and, um, 
I, I was at work uh, one day and I was working on an overnight shift and uh, there's this guy that I worked with and, you know, re- he's kind of like a really skeptical guy. So I had um, kind of basic conversations with him. Uh, we never got into any kind of strain, you know, UFOs or consciousness or anything of that sort. You know, it's kind of like, hey, how you doing? You know, how's the family? Nice weather. And um, so, you know, one day he comes up to me before I'm about to leave my shift and he's, you know, cleaning the area or whatever, doing his job. And he said, hey, did you hear about the, the UFO sightings in Mexico? And I'm, I was kind of like thrown off at first because I'm like this, you know, why is this guy of all people, you know, mentioning this to me? Uh, that's kind of like, a you know, the thought in the back of my head. Uh, but I said, no, you know, I didn't hear about it cause I didn't. And, um, you know, I thought it was a little weird, but then I just, uh, you know, went home and, uh, and then I went to sleep and, um, so it, it's in my dream when I, when I was sleeping, I have this, um, incredibly lucid, uh, dream like at, you know, as I was in the dream, I, I, um, if I felt like physical sensations, like as if this had happened, um, I still think it was a dream state thing, but it was incredibly lucid. And, um, um, in my dream, I'm driving in my old neighborhood, uh, which actually wasn't far away. Um, and there's this, uh, there's this almost like plasma electric orange, uh, disc UFO, like 20 feet above my car, not 15 or 20 feet above my car. And I'm in the dream, I'm driving and I'm trying to get away from it. And it's got this, uh, low, low pitched hum and these electrical charges and it's kind of going through my car and my body and there's vibrations and all this. And I'm just freaked out. Um, I'm not thinking, you know, much, I'm just reacting and I'm just trying to get away from this UFO. And, uh, you know, this goes on for like maybe two minutes in my dream where I'm trying to escape this thing. I'm driving and, and, and I can't get any distance away from it. And then I just, you know, snapped out of my dream and, uh, you know, I'm just waking up in the afternoon and it's, you know, it's a summer day and one of my family members comes home and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's in the afternoon cause I worked that night shift and they, the, the first thing they said to me when they walked in the door was, Hey, did you hear about the UFOs in Mexico? And I, at this point I'm like, you know, screw the, you know, the hell with all this. This is freaking weird at this point. Cause the guy had mentioned something to me. I have this crazy dream. And now, you know, my, my family member just mentions the same thing. You know, it wasn't even like, did they, did you hear about the UFOs? It was the whole same exact thing with like the UFOs in Mexico for whatever reason. Um, and so I'm like, screw this. I, you know, I go out of my house and I, I get in my car cause I'm going to drive to this place down the street and, uh, you know, not even 300 feet, maybe, uh, I'm driving, um, and I see a, a fireball in the sky. Um, and it was, it was actually, you know, it was much bigger than any kind of star or anything. Uh, it, not, not as big as a dime, but, you know, getting close to that territory as far as a, a dime at arm's length. And it's completely stationary. And, you know, just because of the whole sequence I had of this, you know, person saying something to me, having this dream, and then, and then this other family member mentioning the UFO thing. Um, when I saw it, the first thing I'm thinking is this is a freaking UFO. 
And as soon as I thought that, that the object was began to move. And I'm kind of like freaking out at this point um, because it was to me, you know, everything kind of hit me at that point, you know, between the guy saying something, the dream, this other person saying something to me now seeing this, um, you know, seeing it within itself was, was pretty incredible because, you know, again, it's in broad daylight. Um, so there's this fireball and it starts to move and I try to chase it and uh, it eventually just gets out of my view. But, I, you know, I've never seen anything like that even to this day. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't like a, a disc or anything. It was a, this fireball. Um, and, uh, I, and now that I think about it, it was almost like the same kind of orangey color that was in the dream. Um, but that, that event um, started this whole sequence uh, that occurred. Um, so shortly, I want to say maybe a few months after that, I had this, um, I was in this car accident and I had something akin to a near death experience, you know, and in retrospect, you know, obviously it wasn't a near death experience cause I didn't die. Um, but it was, uh, what I call a, a trauma induced out of body experience. So, um, I, I, I went through this kind of whole sequence, you know, I, I got into the car accident and then I basically left this reality in a sense, if you want to say it like that. And I had this experience and there was this being there and, um, I experienced time completely differently, you know, past, present and future at the same time somehow. And I, you know, I had enough awareness, um, that even during this, I, I, you know, after that whole sequence ended, um, I was above the, the scene of the accident I was looking down on it and everything. And I said, you know, so this is it. And I was just completely at peace, like cool with it. Um, I, there was no kind of regrets or, uh, troubling thoughts or concerns. It was just all, it was just all good uh, is as best I can explain it. Um, but it was, it was an extremely profound experience. Uh, transformative and, you know, what people would say um, like a spiritual experience. Um, so uh, then, you know, the reason this is important is because then the very next day, uh, you know, I was in my room and I'm just like cleaning my room, grateful that I'm still alive. And um, it's about, it's probably like nine, maybe nine, nine thirty PM at night. And, um, all of a sudden I just hear this, um, voice and I, you know, I can, it's, it's more than a hearing. I could feel the voice throughout my entire body. Um, and it said, come outside. Um, but as, as soon as I heard the voice say, come outside, I had what you can call like a telepathic lock on or a download. And I instantly knew uh, you know, what was about to occur somehow. Um, I mean, I, I knew that it was a contact event and I knew that it was these entities and, um, I could in at the way I perceived it was that I, I could feel what they were feeling. Um, like almost like what people say, like, Oh, like a mind meld or something like that. Uh, it was just like this, um, connection somehow. And, um, so I heard the voice say, come outside. And I 
literally just ran outside and um, I, I go past um, where the trees are and I can hear a low hum. And once I get past where the trees are and I look up, there's uh, this craft right there just moving so slow and it's like a hexagon and the, um, it's, it's a hexagon, but the, the edges were rounded. So it was very smooth and round, but, um, it had like the six sides. Um, and I'd had some lights around the edges and then in the center, it had this kind of square white fixture, if I can say that. And, um, and it was like an actual, like physical craft. It wasn't like an orb or anything. Uh, it was a, it looked like a, like a, like a flying saucer with lights on, lights on it, except it was shaped like a hexagon and it was just slowly gliding over and it had this low hum to it. And it was just like the, the hum was pulsing, um, very slowly. And I run, I'm running out to my driveway and it's just moving slowly with me and to the point when I'm looking at it and it literally just disappeared all at once. And, um, so I'm like looking for where it could have gone. And for, for whatever reason, the, the first place I look is in front of me. Um, and across the street, it was this lake, um, that was, you know, across the street from where I live, this man-made lake. And I'm, I'm staring over the lake and I see the object or what I assume was the same object appear and it had the lights on it and the lights are going around it. And then another object appeared and this whole um, event occurred where at, you know, the whole, the whole time I'm, I'm watching these objects in the sky, there's between two and three at, at the, at a time. And it had, you know, they have the, these multicolor lights around it that are moving around kind of like in a circle, I guess is the best way to describe it. And uh, I'm, you know, at this point I'm, I'm questioning, like, am I actually seeing this right now? Or did I like hit my head so hard in that accident that I'm hallucinating at this point? Um, guess I'm, fr- yeah, I'm freaking out at this point. Um, you know, cause I had the, the daytime experiences a, f- a few months earlier, but this, this was, this felt, um, realer again, cause there's this actual disc. And, um, so I'm, I'm freaking out. So the first thing I'm thinking is like, okay, I have, somebody has to see this. So I, I ran to my house and there were two family members there. I said, you got to come outside, come outside. They're like, why? I'm like, they're here. And they're like, who's here? And I said, just come out. And, uh, you know, they come outside and, you know, they witness this and this event goes on for maybe 25 minutes to half an hour. And I, I'm, I'm thinking like at this point, like disclosures happening, like I'm, for, for some reason in my mind, I'm thinking like the whole world knows this is happening. I, you know, I don't know why I was just like, uh, that was my feeling of everything that was going on. Like this, this, you know, must be going on all around the world or something. Um, and, uh, so, th- and the way that this, this whole event ended was that two of these objects were flying towards each other. And they had the lights spinning around and everything. And at the, the second that they were about to collide, they just both vanished. And then the sky was empty, and that, and that was the end of that. And I'm, you know, and I, the whole I was in, I was just in shock the whole night after that. Um, 
you know, in disbelief and everything. And again, my, my two family members had seen it. Um, so I, I mean, I, I was grateful that they were there to see that because otherwise I probably would have thought that I was going crazy. Um, and that, that event was the event, like the culmination of that whole sequence where, you know, I had the, the first one with the kind of weird dream time contact where I saw the fireball in broad daylight, uh, to the, you know, the trauma induced out of body experience was, um, I, I want to say probably even the most incredible of all the events. And then this event with the, um, the, the hexagon, the actual craft and, uh, the telepathic lock on when they asked me to come outside. Um, so that whole sequence of events, uh, pushed me over the edge <laughs> in, in a sense where it's like, I, you know, I had to be involved, um, because I, I wanted answers for myself, you know, for one, and for two, uh, you know, I had the impression that everybody needed to be to know that this was a reality, um, you know, and, and part of it, um, you know, again, when I, when I talk about contact, I, I, I tried to distinguish, um, you know, what was like a message that I received versus my, what my own thoughts and interpretation of that was. Um but I, I did get the impression that this, the, the intelligence, you know, that for whatever reason um, decided to engage with me, um, wanted people to know of, of its awareness. You know, um, that's the impression that I got. Um, so that that kind of pushed me into where I am today being like, you know, very involved in the work in a public way. Yeah, I mean wow man it's it's a absolutely incredible sequence of events and there's there's so many things that that you know i want to ask you about it but i mean first of all did you get any kind of um photography or or video or anything of it or was it one of those situations where you were so kind of locked in in the moment that that didn't even occur to you no i i i didn't i in in the, the first one with the um, the fireball, I was just, I was just trying to, first of all, I was driving, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I was trying to chase it and, uh, and, and it got out of my sight. It, I, that, that was 2007. I don't know how good the, um, cell phone cameras were back then, but if, if it would, ha- if it would have stopped again and I got out of my car, I might've tried to, but I was so into what was happening that I didn't. You know, taking a picture in that case didn't cross my mind. And again, for the second time or, you know, the second time was that that kind of trauma induced OBE. But the the one with the, the physical crafts, I don't know. I was just so um, in shock that I didn't I wasn't even thinking. I, I honestly, I don't even know where my phone was at the time. I don't know if I had it in my pocket or what, but I was just didn't even that for some reason didn't even cross my mind. Hmm. So what what do you think I mean I'm guessing you must have thought about it a lot you know with such a mind blowing experience like what what do you think the the things that you witnessed were I mean what, do you think they were nuts and bolts do you think it was some kind of consciousness based thing or perhaps some kind of blurring of of the two do you have, do you have any ideas on on that Yeah um 
I mean, back then I, for, you know, I had this simple knee jerk reaction as of, you know, and again, I was, I was researching UFOs at that time. Um, but I wasn't reading like Jacques Vallée. Uh, so I, I just assumed in my own head that it was extraterrestrial ETI extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, but, and, and actually the, the one where they, there was the, the physical, uh, disc or, you know, whatever you want to call it, object. Um, when I got that, the, the download, they, they told me that they were extraterrestrials. Um, but now the, the more that, that I reflect on that, um, I don't know if that communication was interpreted by my own brain or mind as a way for me to understand what, what they actually were, what was going on Um, rather than them, them being literal rather than like saying, you know, trying to, to communicate something to me in a way that I would, I would get an idea of what was going on. Um, So though that in that, um, experience, they, they actually told me that they were extraterrestrial intelligence or ETs. But again, I don't know if that was just me interpreting it. Um, because that's the only way I can understand what was going on at the time. Uh, you know, the more that I think about it now, um, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I wish I, I did know. And the, the more that I've had different experiences, um, you know, cause I, even when I went to ha- uh, on to do CE five, you know, or, or, um, human initiated contact events, uh, with myself and with other people, uh, you know, the, the IT, the idea of, um, extraterrestrials being the, the intelligence behind the UFO phenomenon almost doesn't make sense. Um, so I, at this point, I, I don't, I don't know. So the, my best thing I can say is I, I had the impression of that very early on, uh, but I realized that was kind of my own, my own kind of thinking based on, you know, <laughs> having a closed, a more closed mind at the time, I guess, to now, um, I don't see how it's possible. I mean, it could be possible, right? That you, all UFO phenomenon is just extraterrestrial intelligence and that their technology is just so advanced that it could pose as and, and do all these things that, that we wouldn't assume an ET could be p- capable of. Um, so at this point, I, I really don't know. Um, and, and the more I look into it, the more I think that there's probably several different phenomena going on, even within, um, the UFO phenomenon itself. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit with, um, hearing obviously your experiences, uh, in, in other, other podcasts and interviews and things like that. And one of the first things that kind of comes to mind is that it, it kind of has to be some kind of physical craft or nuts and bolts type of craft if other people actually witnessed it as well. But I suppose then there's always the other way of thinking of it where it's potentially, even if it is some kind of consciousness-based thing, it's possible that some kind of non-human intelligence could actually tap into like multiple consciousnesses and kind of link them up together. And then everybody experiences the same thing. Actually something that, um, that kind of got me interested in the consciousness aspect of, of 
the phenomenon, if you like, is I've got a background in music. And when you are improvising, like jamming with other musicians, there's kind of almost some element of like a consciousness link up there. You know, like there's been times when, you know, I've been jamming with, I play drums and say I'm jamming with a guitarist and, you know, you're both just jamming for a while and then you just hit a certain thing where you both kind of knew what was coming, even though like you didn't communicate anything, it's just completely unknown. And it really made me think about like the possibility, especially in situations where there's some kind of intensity or, you know, like there's uh, particularly like if you've been doing something together for a while, you know, where consciousnesses can actually somehow be, sort of connected together yeah so resonance sp- resonance so there's uh, actually a few ways to look at that so you have resonance you have coherence and um what's the other one? entrainment um so and actually the, the, what you're describing is if you're if you're actually going to go out and do a ce5 or heist or you know human initiated uh contact event um that if you can get into that state with a group of people that's where like the real stuff happens. You know, that's where you're, you're going to get a really great effect. Um, even if you're going to do like a solo, I, I, I know this kind of sounds weird, but if you can get into that state within yourself, right? Like individually, um, that, uh, you know, that's where some powerful stuff happens. And, you know, I've had, uh, you know, some questions as to like the, you know, idea of the resonance and the coherence, and, um, you know, HeartMath uh, did some really good work on coherence. And um, there was also that study. I mean, again, it's I guess you can say it's a subjective study because it was done um, by uh, the TM Institute, the Transcendental Meditation Institute and something they called the Maharishi effect because they all did that. The, the TM Transcendental Meditation, they got a bunch of meditators into a location and they a certain number of people did high intensity meditation for like peace and stuff and you know crime rates went down and, and things like that in the area you know which is interesting uh you know i i can see people saying oh well that's a subjective study but for you know for whatever it's worth they did they did actual to you know what their degree of science was and, and came out to that effect um and i'm not i'm not sure if there's like uh arguments against that but it's it's a very interesting concept yeah yeah it's it's a fascinating idea that the whole sort of link up of consciousnesses and like especially with between musicians when when you're jamming you really get into a certain state you know and and i've I've, i played drums drums for a long time and it was always kind of you know when even if you're just jamming on your own you can't you it's like being in a different place. Your mind does go somewhere else almost, you know, and it's that aspect of like the, the consciousness thing I find yeah, really fascinating. Oh yeah. Cause so, there's the idea of like, okay, is your, is your consciousness um, locked into your brain and only your brain, you know, or is your consciousness, is your brain actually an antenna and your consciousness is a field and, you know, that being said, your consciousness is not bound to your brain and your body um, in the same way that we in, in the way that we we generally just assume, like all consciousness is within the brain or, you know, again, is it possible to, you know, have these um, non-local events with consciousness where, you know, even, uh, you know, the United States government, you know, spent millions of dollars and 
decades of research studying remote viewing. And, you know, they had done these studies on, they called anomalous mental phenomena, remote viewing. And, uh, and they, they had some interesting results and, you know, it's actually, uh, my friend, um, uh, Jay from project unity just posted a thing saying, Oh, well, it never said that the, uh, the remote viewing, you know, experiments or program was ended because it wasn't successful. It was ended because of the controversy. Um, and, and obviously that the programs never ended. Um, they, they were just moved, you know, mm-hmm. as, as per, uh, usual. Uh, so there's, there's a lot going on there with the consciousness thing. And, uh, again, even, even the most powerful countries have invested millions of dollars into, you know, military programs to utilize those capacities. So, uh, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I've been thinking a lot recently about imagination, like where do ideas like actually come from, you know? And I've, I've heard people talking, you know, in the UFO kind of community and things about potentially other life forms and things like that, being able to experience the past, the present and the future all at the same time. And I kind of got to thinking, you know, is, is it possible that the, the humans actually can experience well obviously we can experience the present because that's what we're experiencing the whole time and we can experience the the past as well by actually delving into memories especially if, say for example if you meditate and you really go back to a memory and you you specifically try to vividly experience a memory and then i got to thinking about imagination is it possible that what imagination actually is is experiencing a potential possible future and being able to if you imagine there's an infinite number of possible futures and an imagination is actually being able to hone in on just one of those and then guiding your consciousness towards that and bringing it into what you experience as the present you know it's like when when you're making like when I make an idea for a song or, you know, much, much better, you know, artists and, and musicians and stuff than myself, you can almost see the finished thing as it is. And you all you do have to do is focus on it and then bring it into the present. You know, it's um, something that's been kind of haunting me recently is that maybe imagination actually is experiencing something that, that is a potential future, you know? Yeah, I think imagine there's a lot to be said about imagination. And um, I mean, I I would take a guess and I, I don't know this. I, I'm just this is just like an intuitive grasp over here is that um, people people with a high capacity for imagination and and I don't I don't mean high capacity for imagination coupled with delusion, but somebody that has a high capacity for creativity and imagination, um, I think, has a, a more likely probability to be a better remote viewer or, you know, somebody that's able to tap into that aspect of consciousness rather than somebody who's um, not not that doesn't have that kind of like natural talent for imagination in a sense that way. Um, mm. That's a guess. Uh but it's, it's a really, I mean, that'd be a great study. That's a really interesting uh, concept. 
Yeah, I think about it a lot with things like cars as well. Because, I mean, obviously I do music stuff. That's kind of my experience. But, like, say, for example, somebody who designs, like, a new Porsche car or something like that, you know, it's amazing to me that somebody can actually envision, like, a future thing that doesn't exist yet and then bring it into existence. And how is it that some people are able to do that? You know, obviously there's a spectrum of it as well. Some people can do like really amazing versions of that. And some people kind of, you know, if they tried to design a car, it wouldn't be too great. And some people just (laughs) wouldn't even know where to start. You know, it's there's something to that, isn't there, you know? Yeah. Well, because then, you know, this this person's uh, imagination, say in the sense of building a car is informed. Um, You know, they're working off the kind of like information base and they're they're able to tap into that and extrapolate. And that's where imagination comes in, the extrapolation mm. uh, and, and vision to go beyond what's just there. Um, so, you know, again, obviously somebody who um, can envision this car and how the, the way it works and create this incredible, you know, Porsche or Ferrari or whatever um, is not going to have the same ability and likely to to create a masterpiece on a violin, you know, mm. like the, like a violinist. So I, I guess it's kind of like you have this database of, of whatever your knowledge is and the imagination is the ability to, to extrapolate beyond that. And, uh, you know, so I guess in that sense, it's like whatever your, your data, your data set and inclinations are kind of help, um, inform your imagination a bit. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. So, obviously, like you said, you've had um, quite a number of, you know, contact experiences. And I was wondering, like, you mentioned about meditation earlier on. Do you make specific efforts to kind of get your body and mind into a position to have contact experiences? Or does it does it just seem to happen naturally? Like, for example, um, the Mission Rama use um, meditation follow a strict vegan diet, avoid drugs and alcohol and things like that. So do you have any specific lifestyle choices that you do to invite these experiences or does it just seem to happen naturally? Uh, well, I mean, for certain, the the earlier experiences, I, I, you know, not to my knowledge that I bring those on in any way. I was not expecting it. I did not intend for it to happen. Uh you know, quite frankly, at that point, I was not even considering anything like that a possibility. Uh, so th- those events just happened. Um, actually, something I question about that is, is that, was there something that I was doing that led to that, right? That led for that to happen. And I don't know. Uh, I that's, That was so long ago, 2007. And, I, you know, I had thought about that after I found CE5. Um you know, uh, and again, CE5 human initiated contact events, uh, you know, intentionally um, trying to initiate an encounter with UFO intelligence. Um, so at, to my knowledge, at those earlier experiences, I didn't initiate. Is it possible that I somehow was doing uh, the right process or I was in the right frame of mind for that to occur? That's that's possible. Um but as far as after I found um, the CE5 work, I actually, you know, of course, I experimented um, very in depth uh, to to see if that worked. And it did. Um, 
Now, uh, when you're talking about CE5 or contact, again, um, everybody's version is going to be different. There's the CE5 protocols, which were created or, or co-created by Dr. Stephen Greer. Uh, but again, you mentioned Mission Rama. They were doing their own version of that in the 1970s. Um, although what Mission Rama were doing and what Dr. Stephen Greer are, you know, was or is doing with CE5 is very similar. Um, personally, for me, I, I kind of, I guess you can say now I have a lifestyle like that, but it's more, you know, it's not just for, for contact or C5. It's an overall um, part of who I am. So I do meditation every day. Um, I do kind of, you know, those kind of practices and um, I study that kind of work. Um, and I, I do go. So at, at this point, it's almost like a mishmash. It's like, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Because um, if I had, if I happen to have, um, uh, an encounter now, which I, I still do have sightings and different encounters on different levels at this point, but is it random at this point or is it something that I somehow participated in? Um, I mean, at, at this point it's, it's, uh, I guess it's harder to, to, to differentiate because, because of the, the, the non-local nature of contact and CE5, um, or, you know, um, human initiated contact events. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, if you're, if you're going to want to try, um, you know, contact work or CE5, uh, it's not like you say, okay, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to do a 20 minute med meditation and I'm going to watch the sky for an hour. I mean, gen that's the general conception people have. Um, but that's not necessarily how contact always works. Um, so you, I mean, you could, you could go ahead and do that. You can go do a 20 minute or 30 minute or one hour, two hour meditation that involves some kind of contact protocols or contact modalities. And, um, you may very well have, um, some kind of close encounter right there. Um, uh, but you might not, and you might go on the next few days and not do anything related to meditation or contact or contact modalities. And then, you know, at, all of a sudden next week, uh, out of the blue, you have an encounter. And now was, was that brought on by the, the contact modalities and the meditation and the, the CE5 or human initiated contact event work? Um, you know, or did it just happen? Were, were you, did you just, were you in the right, um, condition for that to occur? Uh, so personally, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I did the CE five work um, so much that it that it, it did become almost like a lifestyle. Um, so I, I kind of I do do um, you know my meditation and, and I do CE five still. So um, it's it's kind of I guess uh, it's both right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've been quite intrigued as well recently about whether or not there's been any kind of like blood work or any even like brain scans or similar kind of thing to measure brain function on people who are experiencing C5, C5 or, you know, human initiated contact events. And um, I suppose it's probably 
uh, quite unlikely that that's ever happened, but I was just wondering if, if you knew of, of anything like that that ever has taken place. Uh, well, actually, yes. Uh, you know, I, I wrote an article on, on the work of uh, Dr. Gary Nolan and Dr. Uh, Christopher Kit Green. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, they are both, uh, you know, first of all, Kit Green ran the, the weird desk at the CIA. Uh, Kit Green also was heavily involved in the CIA's remote viewing program. Um, just to kind of preface that and, uh, you know, the obvious connection between consciousness and, and the UFO, you know, problem. Um, and, and Gary Nolan, you know, people know him from maybe a documentary that came out, uh, where they were studying some being and it ended up being, um, you know, human or whatever. But, um, Gary Nolan is a, uh, I'm going to preface this and say this guy is a relentless, meticulous scientist. Um, but he also happens to be an experiencer. Um, so, you know, you, you have these guys and they um, were able to do a study of military personnel who encounter, had UFO events. And um, they, it seems like they, they did a number of different studies. The, the one I, the, the paper or the article that I wrote um, had to do with the, uh, the caudate putinum, which is a, a place in the brain um that in all these um, experiencers had uh, like a hyperactive activity that, 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 so this place in the basal ganglia of the caudate putinum had a a hyperactivity um, compared to just say regular people. And it was funny. They actually found that other people and and these people's family had the same kind of hyperactivity. Um, So they, they did do a study on that and uh, there's probably going to be more coming out on that soon. Um, There was, it it seemed that they were also doing another study with the DNA and that one did was not made public yet. I don't know if it will be, Um, but from what I understand, they were able to identify people through their DNA to see if they actually had these uh, contact events. Um, and I, th- I think that there's, there's work like that, that's going to continue to happen. So actually there's elements of it that have been looked at scientifically. Um, I think that will continue. I certainly hope it does, especially now that what everything we have going on in the public and the mainstream, uh, you know, basically acknowledging the UFO reality or UAP, um, I, th- I would hope that people continue to look in those areas and that research uh, continues and, and grows and it becomes more diligent and, you know, you have more great scientists working on it. I, I hope that uh, continues to occur. Uh, but the, yeah, there is, there is some, some very interesting science and it is science. It's not like kind of like woo science. These are uh, extremely diligent uh, scientists that are working on it and some of the stuff we know about and a lot of it we don't. 
Yeah. One one thing I would love to see is like a, you know, obviously you all heard of the Galileo project that recently been announced and things like that. I would love to see like a Galileo project for consciousness. You know what I mean? It's oh, like yeah. a, a kind of like a, a really well-funded, um, well-staffed, like public organization that actually really look into it and study it. That, that would be super fascinating. But I suppose whether we're going to see that or not anytime soon. Uh, remains to be seen doesn't it yeah but I, I know i know from hearing lou elizondo and talking about it he's under the impression that consciousness is very significant in terms of how it relates to the phenomenon and also many people in certain parts of the government are very much taking this seriously what do you think the government know about this stuff and how it relates to ufos i'll I mean, even if you go back to uh, the 1950s to the Wilbur Smith memo, uh, which Grant Cameron and, and Richard Dolan, uh, but especially Grant C- Cameron, talk about in great detail, um, you know, that's a very fascinating story. And, you know, you have, um, you know, Wilbur Smith is a scientist and he's high up uh, working with the Canadian government and he ends up speaking to, to, people in the United States about UFOs, high ranking, you know, scientists, uh, in the United States government. And they, they were, there's this memo. Uh, and if you just Google the, the Wilbur Smith memo, you're going to find this and it's fascinating, never been disputed. And so as far as, you know, it's a, it's an actual, um, document. It's, there's no, it's not like a fake or it's not a, you know, whatever it's, it's a real document. And uh, the scientists are discussing how the UFO subject in the United States is more classified than the hydrogen bomb, which at the time in the early 1950s was the most classified and powerful doomsday weapon. There was nothing more classified than the ultimate doomsday weapon, right? We were, you know, we were working on the hydrogen bomb and the UFO subject, they said, was more classified than that. And not not only that, that they that they knew that somehow mental phenomena were related to the UFO subject. So they knew that back then. Mm-hmm. They knew that in the in the late forties and early fifties. And you know, how they came to that conclusion, it doesn't say it in the uh in the Wilbur Smith memo. Um but you know, you can make some some assumptions, you may not be right. Um but so going back from then to um wow you know you're talking you know 70 or 80 years of um you know they've researched it this entire time regardless of what they've said to the public um and again at at a very classified levels uh very secure levels and um i would have to assume that they know a lot more than they're letting on um as far as like how far is their work into like consciousness within um, the government and classified programs versus what people are talking about in the public. Um, I think that they might have some, um, a few kind of like technical ideas, like in those programs where they know uh, they have technical information and technical data. Um, But I I don't think they've like solved these problems. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, some stuff out there in the public is, is hitting on to the right tunes. So, um, 
and I, and I think that the the government still looks out to uh, see what's going on in the public sphere uh, to take that and and test their own hypothesis. So I don't I don't I think they're probably further along in some technical aspects, but I, I don't think they're anywhere close to solving uh, the major you know problems as far as consciousness or you know. I think that they're still, you know, again, I think there's people outside of the government, outside of those programs that are um, maybe have a better understanding intuitively of how all that works. And and that's part of the problem of of everything being so compartmentalized and classified is because there's this great potential of this planet of people who if people, everybody was working together, you'd get so much further, you know? Um, and you know, they might not want to tap this person to use them for a program because of, you know, any number of reasons. And that person might actually be their best bet of advancing like 20 years in like a year. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think that very much exists. And I, you know, um, I should, I should probably leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. So just to, to, um, dive a little bit deeper in that direction, I would just want to talk to you about slide nine. So please correct me if I get any of this wrong, because you've been looking at this a lot longer than I have, but a tip slide nine is basically a PowerPoint slide allegedly used in secret government briefings, which mentions cognitive human interface penetration of solid objects, alteration, manipulation of biological organisms, anomalies in the space-time construct. Now, this has officially been denied, as I believe, by the government, but seems to have been backed up that it is real by former government and Pentagon insiders such as Hal Puthoff, Eric Davis, and, of course, Lou Elizondo. So what do you think of slide nine? In your view, is it genuine? And what do you make of the things mentioned in it? Yeah, it's absolutely genuine. Um, you know, the, some of those people you just mentioned were probably uh, part of, of putting the slide together. Um, and th- those are all things that they had observed, uh, you know. And again, this this is just stuff that I believe that they observed within OSAP and ATIP. So I think even within that short span of that program that those were determinations that they came to. Uh, I don't know the entire data set they were working with, um, but they, they were not able to get um, special access program access. So the, the program OSAP and ATIP were not able to get um, special access program protection and, and, and because of that, it was not able to tap on to other special access programs to get more information from those programs that might help their program. So um, that leads me to believe that they had a contained data set they were working with. Um, so they, they made all those observations and, and, and kind of hypotheses based on what they had. So that that's not even I that's not even tapping into the really deep stuff of like if they actually had hardware and crash retrievals and stuff. So um, those those um, slides are are historic in my opinion. Uh, they're incredibly important, 
and they give you an indicator and an insight of you know what the DOD was looking at basically and some of the conclusions they were beginning to to try to draw based on what they were observing um based on all the the cases that they were able to um to evaluate uh so you know just just in, in the limited data set that they had available to them they drew those conclusions um which again is incredible and it's historic and uh, you know this was meant to 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 brief officials you know <laughs> so um you know when they're going in to do briefings i guess you can assume that they're they're talking about some of these capabilities and possibilities um and that's that's not even what's in the really deep 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 program so that's fascinating to me yeah certainly is you, you can you can say that again <laughs> it's, it's do you think there's an element of it where those things that i was talking about earlier and there's a summary at the bottom of the slide which i forget the exact word and it's something like what used to be considered phenomenon is now quantum physics or something along right, the lines of right. that do you think that those particular things are some kind of effort to elevate the level of our science to be able to understand the technology that we're observing or maybe even like to somehow be able to operate the the, the crashed craft that they actually have or do you think it's just a general study into those kind of areas no absolutely you know you had the 38 dirds um the defense intelligence um what is it? Defense intelligence research um, documents. And, uh, you know, if you look at them, they're pretty far out. But, you know, OSAP and ATIP, you know, you know, part of that initiative was um, to try to understand, uh, you know, based on looking at uh, UAP uh, and UFOs and, and, and studying, the, you know, those phenomena, um, you know, could we create that technology in 50 years? Hmm. And that was kind of the goal of the program. And, um, you know, it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, Hal put off mentioned in a, in a, um, a lecture a few years ago, a tip, they, they talk about the threat and Hal said, actually the biggest threat to national security the biggest threat to national security was not necessarily UAP itself in the sense where people think, okay, oh, you know, these UAP are going to come and harm us. Um, and again, I don't want to throw that off the table at all, not by any means, but a tips, uh, the biggest threat that they identified was that a foreign country was going to develop these technologies before us. So they're laying it out there on the table as that these are, possible sciences within our near future, you know, and that we could possibly advance our sciences by studying UAP phenomena to, to be able to achieve some of those, uh, you know, feats, <laughs> at least some of them. I mean, the, you know, penetrating solid objects, that one kind of seems a little far out to me. I don't, you know, I, that's probably a long ways away. Um, but it's it's interesting that that quote that you had mentioned that's on the bottom of the slide. You know, I've heard mm. I've heard Lou Elizondo say that exact quote before in in interviews and things. So that's telling. Um, but I do think that they, they were looking at these these things. Um, you know, the different um, 
points on the slide as uh, possible um, near future technologies, you know, within, within 50 years. So um, in my own opinion, uh, again, it's, some of it seems more far, far out, but some of it's, is more realistic. You know, we have, we've had psychotronic, um, you know, psychotronic technologies for, you know, over, you know, since at least the early seventies, the late sixties, that's a long time, <laughs> you know, and you're talking about being able to alter people's perception, you know, whether it's through, you know, whatever means the psychotronics, I don't want to get into, uh, how they do that, but, you know, basically, you know, non-lethals is what, is what they, the euphemism <laughs> for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but these are sciences. I think that they were seriously looking at and they thought it uh, possible to achieve and definitely to start doing so before foreign countries uh, began to do it and advance, you know, whether they got to those points or not, or just by studying that kind of stuff, be able to advance past the point where say the United States or the UK or, you know, the allied countries are based like, you know, versus another country. Um, so I think, yeah, they, they thought they were taking this very seriously. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's basically what we've got time for, for today. So I uh, just want to say thanks a lot for taking the time to, to do this. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. And, uh, I look forward to listening to it when it's posted. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all, man. I'll keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you too as well. I'm a huge fan of the uh, the podcast and stuff, so I always tune in whenever you've got a new episode out. Yeah, great. I appreciate it. I'm, a, I'm, on, I'm doing one today, so you'll uh, that'll be a nice one. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, won't, I won't pressure you to who it is because I think you've got it under wraps at the moment, haven't you? So uh, I'll just wait and see eh, when, it's, when it comes out. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now because when, <laughs> okay. is, when is this going to be uploaded? Oh, that's, that's the point, yeah, because I'm not actually going to upload this for like two weeks because this Thursday I've already uh, this Friday I've already got an episode recorded for, so it'll be next Friday by okay, the time so, this comes So then out. I'll just put it out there because I'm going to upload my the one I'm doing today. It's going to be uh, I'm doing with Rich Dolan. And ah, it's okay. going to be on uh, Zodiac. Fantastic. And, you know, I know everybody's been like uh, asking about the Zodiac. So I figured let me get Rich Dolan on the record and we're going to cover all the bases on what Zodiac is and what people think it is and um, yeah, what it possibly is and means. Fantastic. Well, I'll look forward to checking that out. And um, yeah, thanks again, man. Definitely. I'll speak to you soon, brother. All right, so big thanks again to James. A really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And you can get James on uh, Twitter, and it's at Engaging The. And uh, obviously, Engaging The Phenomenon podcast, you can check that out on Spotify and uh, James' YouTube channel as well. I'm on Twitter as well, at UFO Thinker. So if you've got any questions or anything you want to add to the conversation that we had today, feel free to give me a shout. It's always great to hear from listeners. And um, I'll catch you guys in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.